told you it was hard for me to, to prepare to preach about something that I do not like to do. Uh, but we, we begin to talk about uh, how that God intends for us not to just become a Christian or, or to be just a believer, but after we become a believer, he, he wants us to become a follower. He wants us to become a disciple. He wants us to do what it is that, that He's called us to do. And we begin to look at how that we can effectively minister to people in our lives. And it was sort of a strange series moving into a new place. And, and, but I understand that, that Easter is coming up. And that Easter is a time that many people are receptive to the message of Christ. And so we have three weeks until Easter. So this week we're going to close out our series. And we're going to talk about how that we should love to fish. The, the bumper that you just saw there, use Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 and 14, where it says, You are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. How many people remember, if, if you're a follower of Christ, how many people remember that day? The day that it happened. Anybody remember that? I remember when I first became a follower of Christ. I was seven years old. And I was sitting uh, at a church much smaller than this. It was a country church in Bolt, West Virginia. And uh, we were sitting there and, and we had pews. And I was sitting over on this side about four rows back. And my mom sat on one end and my dad sat on the other. And that was, they were sort of the bookends for me and my sister. We were not going to get out this side or that side without passing through mom or dad. And so I remember that night, I was sitting there and the preacher was preaching and, and they gave the altar call. And my heart felt like it was going to explode. I just, I was seven years old, but I knew that, that, that the Holy Spirit was speaking to me. At least I thought that's what it was. And so I look at my mom, and, and I want to get out. She wasn't having it. She was like, sit down. And so I sit there, and, and I, I tell her, I want to go to the altar. But she let me out real quick. And so I came to the altar, and I prayed. And, and I became a follower of Christ that moment. But I remember even at the age of seven years old, the first thing that I wanted to do, even though it was out of the way, even though it was late on a Sunday night, the first thing I wanted to do was to go to my grandparents' house and tell them. And I couldn't wait to get in that door. I couldn't wait to share with them, even at seven years old, the difference that I felt since Christ had come into my life. And for many of us, that happens. We become saved and we will preach to anything that moves. You ever been around that kind of person? But they get saved and a whole new world is open to them and, and they begin to just, they want to tell everybody, they want to tell others what's going on. But unfortunately, what happens is, after a period of time, the newness begins to wear off. You know how when something's new, everybody's excited and, and everything is, but, but then after a while, you get that new car and you're like, man, I love my new car. Look how nice it is. And you, you keep it shined and, and, and real clean. And, and then after about three or four months, 
It looks like it belongs on uh, Rusty's used car lot. Lion Leo, is that his name out in the county? Because the newness wears off. And unfortunately, a lot of times it happens with our Christianity. But if we're going to do what God has called us to do, if we're going to love Him and love people, we have to be willing to tell others. We must keep love alive. Let me let you in on a secret that you may not know. People can be irritating. Don't tell anybody. But people can be irritating. They can get on your nerves. But the Bible says in 1 John, it says, how can, you love a, how can you say that you love a God that you can't see when you can't love your neighbor whom you can see? Now, when I read that, I think, well, that's easy. Because God isn't irritating. And people are. I mean, a yellow light means speed up, doesn't it? A yellow light means if you get through the light, I will too. (laughs) And they stop. I preach a lot about driving. You see where my hurt comes from, my anger. You would think I was from the north. Sorry, northerners. But people are irritating. But we've got to learn to love people no matter what. John wasn't always full of love. He wrote this, but he wasn't always full of love. I mean, there was a, there was a time that, that John and James, they were called the sons of thunder. They were preaching the message and, and, and people weren't receiving it. And he said, hey, let's just call fire down from heaven. They were wanting to fry the fish. And Jesus looked at them and said, you don't have the right spirit. You don't love people. I mean, people can be rejecting. They can be irritating. They can be hurtful. But how we see people, are they just a a trouble to you? Or do you love them? You see, love is attractional. It's irresistible. The the reason many many of you are here today is because you were moved by a message of love. And when people see that in our lives... We become the salt and the light. And it's the love that captures their heart. It's the love that they see and the love that they feel. I spent a lot of my youth pastoring years working youth camp. And um, there was always a saying among all us workers. And that saying was, camp would be awesome if it weren't for the campers. So true. I mean, you can just hang out with your friends and, and drink coffee and play rook and, and just, just stay up late and, and just reminisce about days past. But there's all those little, those little campers. They just get on your nerves. And it's bad when the, when the state youth director says that. I mean, he's the one that's leading this whole thing. And I'm thinking, man, you, just, you need to go be a barista somewhere. Get away from people. But sometimes we see people as a bother or a nuisance. But our love for humanity must be greater than our spiritual activity. Our love for humanity must be greater 
than our spiritual activity. You say, well, show it to me. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1 says, if, you could, if I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. What are you saying? I'm saying that, that it doesn't matter what you do in here. It doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter how many spiritual gifts that you can exercise. It doesn't matter how much you can prophesy or, or, or any of those things. It says if you do not have love, love for humanity, love for mankind, then it's useless. It's worthless. You see, spiritual activity without love for humanity is salt without flavor. Spiritual activity without love for humanity is salt without flavor. You've heard the saying before, people do not care how much you know until they know how much you care. People aren't looking for knowledge. They're looking for love. When you begin to bask in the love of God, when you begin yourself to understand how much God loves you and how that He died for you, just as we sang about so much this morning, how that He gave His, His only Son to die for you and you begin to understand that love, it's then and only then that you can give that love away. It's impossible to give something away that you do not have or you do not understand. But when you begin to realize that, it will become a motivating factor in sharing it with others. So this morning, for a few minutes, I want to, to look at a, a familiar passage of Scripture that if you've been in church at all, you've probably heard, and you've probably heard me preach from it ten times. This is 11. John chapter 4. In John chapter 4, we see that Jesus goes out of His way to find a woman who is at the well. Now, just some, some backstory on this passage of Scripture. Jesus needed to go to a place. In order to get there, He had a couple of options. He could go the long way, the scenic route, or he could go directly through Samaria. Now, most Jews would choose to go through the long route because they did not want to go through Samaria, as we talked about last week when we talked about the Good Samaritan. These were, they didn't get along. They didn't interact with each other. Jews didn't mingle with Samaritans. But here we have Jesus, and he comes to the well. And he looks at, he's sitting there, and, and he sees this woman, and he begins to, to look at her, and he asks her a question. And she's taken back by it. She said, why are you a Jew talking to me, a Samaritan? And Jesus begins to have this dialogue with her. He begins to, to have a conversation with her. He engages with her in conversation. And he finds out her, her life story. He finds out her hurts and her pain. And he began to reveal to her who he was. 
He began to, to let her in that he was the Christ that they had been waiting for. And she found herself believing in him. And the Bible says that once she made that confession, and once that she understood and realized who Jesus was, she went and told everything. She went and told everybody about him. It says she went and she went to the city and she said, Come listen to a man who told me everything. And it said people came and Jesus stayed there for an additional two days. You see, Jesus had a love for people who were outcast. Jesus had a love. If you look through the Bible, he was drawn to them. I mean, Paul tells us that, that he chose those things that were foolish to confound the wise. Jesus values everybody and everyone because he loves everyone. And just like Jesus, we must begin to realize and share that love. We cannot minister to what we do not see. We cannot minister to what we do not see. How do you see people? It's very easy to go through life and to not see them at all. It's very easy to get into a routine of day-to-day living and not realize the people that are around you. If you read this story that happened to the disciples... It says the disciples went away to get lunch. That's all they were thinking about, lunch. You may be sitting here this morning and you may be thinking about lunch. They just wanted food. And we all have our routines. I know people that at 12 o'clock they're eating lunch no matter what. I know people that at at 5 o'clock, dinner's on the table, no matter what. I know people at 8.30, their kids are in bed, no matter what. People have their routines. And it's so easy to get into a routine and become so consumed with our routine that we miss people. Now, I have a routine. It's lunch. I have a routine that... Almost any morning, Monday through Friday, you can walk into Steak and Shake, and in the back, it's near the front, but the back of the restaurant as you walk in, on the left-hand corner, there's a table there, and that's my routine. If you're looking for me, you go there, I'm not there, you better hope it wasn't the rapture. But I'm there. And it would be very easy. I'll, I'll take my Bible in. I'll, take, I'll read. I'll, and it would be very easy for me just to shut everybody out. Because I can become so consumed with everything that I have going on that day that I do not see the waitress that's bringing my food. That I don't see the person that sits down in the booth beside me. And so here are the disciples. They went to get lunch. They were consumed with lunch. They get back and they see Jesus in this conversation with this woman. You would think they would have been interested in what was going on. What did they do? Hey, Jesus, you want some food? It's lunchtime. That, that'll wait. 
the first thing he asks? Are you hungry? When she leaves to go get the people, they're not excited about what's going on. Jesus, come eat. You see, our flesh loves for us to be consumed with us. How many people love yourself? Come on, don't lie. We all love ourselves. And it's so easy to become consumed with us. To focus on what we need, what we want, our wants, our desires. Come on. That we do not see the people around us. But you will never minister to what you do not see. But once you can look into the hearts of people. Once you can see their souls. Changes the world. When you can see people not as a bother, not as irritating, something's going to go off in your heart. It's going to say, I've got to share what I have with them. And my prayer every day is, is God, show me a spirit of awareness. Give me a spirit of awareness. Allow me to see people. We have to. Why do we have to? Because we are the only plan that God has chosen to save the world. You ever thought about that? We, you and I, followers of Christ, are the, is the only plan. We are the only plan that God has chosen to save the world. That's a whole different responsibility, isn't it? But we have to see people. Statistics will show that 80% of mothers who are looking to have an abortion, 80% of mothers that once they have a sonogram, once they can actually see that child growing in their womb, that they change their mind. Why is it? Because it goes from just something that they know is there, but they're not paying any attention to, to actually seeing it. It becomes real. It becomes something that they understand, and they realize, hey, this is, it. This is real. This is important. This is a life. One day, Jesus was ministering to heal a blind man. And he laid hands on him and he said, okay, what do you see? And he said, I, I can see people, but there, there is trees walking around. I've often thought about that. I thought, man, was Jesus just having a bad day? You know, did, did, did he just need to go back and do it again? But as I read that, something spoke to me and said, you know what? Sometimes, I believe we have that same problem. We see men simply as trees. We see people simply as trees, as part of the landscape. That's what happens. You know, if you're driving down the road, if you're not really paying attention, you pay no attention to the landscape. Now, there are times that you go out just for, just for a, an afternoon drive, you start doing that kind of things when you get older. You want to look at all the trees and, and all of those things. And, 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 and so you begin to look at, but most of the time, if you're driving down the road, you pay no attention to the trees or to the landscaping. And too many times we see people just as trees. We see people as just part of the landscape. We don't think about that waitress or that bank teller. That same person that you go to, when I'm at Steak and Shake, uh, is always one of two waitresses. I know they're going to be there. And when I begin to think, hey, is their name written in the Lamb's Book of Life? 
And I'm not trying to, to motivate you or motivate myself with guilt. I want to make us aware that people are souls. They're not just part of the landscape. Who was at the well first? Anybody know? Jesus. Jesus was at the well first. And he's there. He's waiting. He knew she was coming. It was planned. And there was awareness in him that said, this woman's coming. She's going to be there. Can I tell you that you know that your co-workers are going to be there tomorrow morning? You know that when you go out to get the mail, that you're going to see your neighbor. You know the interaction in your day-to-day routine. Many of us see the same people over and over. If you're in school, you know which classmates are going to be there. You know who you're going to sit beside in classes. But do we ever think about it? You know those people. And I believe they are divine assignments. Divine assignments. But who do you see with eyes of compassion? You see, I've been talking about this a lot here lately. We talked about compassion and how compassion is not just simply saying or feeling. It's not just shedding tears. It is feeling sympathy for someone, but also doing something about it. And I believe that that we all have a different pocket of people, for lack of a better term. We all have a certain kind of people that we have compassion for. If you were battered and abused, then you probably have a heart for people who are battered and abused. If you grew up fatherless, you probably have a heart for people without a father. I don't believe that you have to have a a heart for everyone because there are people that, that I have compassion for but I can't relate to. But I believe that everything that we go through is for a reason and for a purpose. For me personally, I have a compassion for people who have been hurt by church. People who have been hurt by religion. People who were going through life and doing everything that they knew to do, but then somebody said or did something in a church or that... that, supposed to be a Christian, and they hurt them. Those people are everywhere. Why? Because that was me. That was me. And so I have a compassion, and I can sit and relate to those people all day long because that's where my heart is. It's not that I don't care about the fatherless, but I can't relate to them. My wife and I have a compassion For couples who can't conceive. Because why? Because we went 15 years of marriage without being able to conceive a child. And we ended up up getting to adopt. But God has placed people in our lives that have that same issue. And when we see those couples with that issue, we can say, hey, I relate. We understand. And you may be here this morning and you say, this is my past. This is my story. This is what, and you begin to develop a compassion out of your hurts. The things that God has delivered you from, the things that God has brought you out of, then you tell your story. And that's why I believe Jesus had a heart for this woman. 
That's why I believe Jesus went to the well that day. Because he didn't live like her, but he was treated like her. You see, John chapter 4 verse 6 says this. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. So at 12 o'clock, Jesus is there waiting for this woman. How do we know that she was an outcast? Because most people would come to the well early in the morning or late in the afternoon. She would go at noontime because she was an outcast, because she didn't want to see people. She didn't want people to see her. Jesus could relate to her. Why? Because he was also rejected. The Bible tells us in Isaiah chapter 53 verse 3, He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. I believe that Jesus had a heart for this woman because he knew what she was going through. He knew her hurts. And so here we are. Jesus sees this woman and he shows her love. Now, can I tell you that love is both tender and tough? Love is both tender and and tough. You have to be understanding when you love someone, but you also have to be challenging. Anybody ever had to give some tough love to your children? Some of the few times I remember getting whipped when I was growing up. You probably heard this. This is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. If you've ever said that, you need to repent because you're a liar. The only way it hurts you more is if, if you break your belt and you have to go get a new one and it costs you money. We don't do that anymore. I forgot. But tough love to your children. Love has to be tender. Tender is understanding, knowing what they're going through. But tough is challenging. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 15 says this, Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of His body, the church. See, if you just share the truth without love, you're condemning. You're condemning them. The truth without love is condemnation. But sharing love without truth, you're just flattering them. Oh, it's okay. It's okay. God loves you. Just keep doing what you're doing. Keep living that way. It's, it's fine. God loves you. You can't always be preaching to them. You can't always say, you know, you're going to go to hell. But you can't always just say, it's all right. Don't worry about it. You will never bring people to changing their life, to a changing point in their life, if you just tell them that God loves you and everything's good. That it doesn't matter how you believe, it doesn't matter how you live, 
But in this passage of Scripture, Jesus shows us He does both. And there are moments that God is going to ask us to challenge people. Jesus, in this passage of Scripture, He looks at the woman and says, if you keep drinking from this water, you're going to thirst again. And sometimes we feel like, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. We have to have the mindset that, hey, we have the answer. We have, that's what Jesus did here. He said, listen, you keep drinking this water, you keep doing this over and over, you're going to thirst again. But I, I have a water that you can drink of that you will never thirst again, that you will be satisfied. Look what Jesus did in this passage of Scripture. There's three things. He confirmed He convicted, and he converted. He confirmed. He related to her. He related to her. In John chapter 4, verse 13 and 14, he says, Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. You see, earlier in this passage of Scripture, Jesus said, hey, I'm thirsty. He began to relate with her. He said, people are going to be thirsty. I understand your thirst. I understand what it is that you're looking for. I understand what you're going through. People need to know that we can relate to them. And that's why our stories are so important. People need to know, hey, I've been there. And this is what God did for me. I can relate. I can't stand it. I think I told you last week, someone telling me that they know what I'm going through when they've never been through it themselves. Here Jesus is saying, I understand that you're thirsty. I'm thirsty too. I've had a long journey. I'm tired. I need water. So he related to them. But then he took it one step more and he said, And he began to convict her. He began to tell her what it was that was wrong in her life. He didn't just immediately come in and just drop the conviction. He first confirmed her. Hey, I understand. He built a relationship with her. He had a dialogue with her. But then in verse 17, Jesus said, go get your husband. And she said, I don't have a husband. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband. For you've had five husbands. And you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. So Jesus looked at her. He set her up. Jesus knew this. He said, go get your husband. But he began to convict her. He said, here's what you're doing. Here's where you're going wrong. You're looking for love in all the wrong places. You're looking for satisfaction from a person. From a a marriage. So he began to convict her. People need to hear what they're doing is wrong. If it doesn't line up with this, they need to hear it in love. In love. 
Thirdly, after he confirmed, he convicted, then he moved to the conversion. This is the important part. Too many times we want to just skip to number three. We want to skip to the third step. But there's a process. John chapter 4, verse 25 and 26. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming. The one who is called the Christ. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. So here she is talking to Jesus. And she says, I know that the Messiah is coming. I understand that. And then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. So he's going through this process, and he gets to the point, and he says, now's the time. Now's the time to let her know that I am. Now's the time to let her know that I am the water that she can drink of, that she'll never thirst again. He didn't just leave her hanging. He related with her. He showed her where she was going wrong. He showed her why that she continued to thirst. And then he gave her the solution. Can I tell you that we have the solution? If we're followers of Christ, we have the solution. We have the answer as to why that people can drink and never thirst again. And so my question to you is, if Jesus is who he says he is, what are you doing with him? What are you doing with him? When he revealed himself to this woman and he said, I am the Messiah, what did she do? She jetted out of there. She was excited. She went and told people, hey, come see a man. Come hear a man. Let me introduce you to this person who has changed my life. That's what she did with him. She could have been so consumed that she didn't want to leave his presence. And she was in the presence of the Messiah. He had changed her life. But no, she knew that she had something that was too good not to share. She had to go tell others. And when you begin to share your faith, it becomes so rewarding. There's nothing better than to watch someone give their life to Christ, and you know that God has used you to bring them to that point. It's rewarding. There's no greater feeling than knowing that God has used your words, your hands, your embrace for someone to turn their life over to Christ. Too many times we don't understand that love is rewarding. Too many times we think it's going to cost us. In the story of the Samaritan that we talked about last week, the priest and the Levi probably thought it was going to cost them too much. But the Samaritan was willing to do whatever it took. Whatever it took. And there is a whole new world waiting for us when we can develop the mentality that love is rewarding. And that when you can take what you have, and help give it to somebody else. When Jesus was with the rich young ruler, he said, what must I do? He said, well, sell everything and come follow me. 
the rich young ruler wouldn't do it because he thought it was going to cost him too much. It's not going to cost you. It's going to be rewarding. But we have to take a risk. Love is a risk. Love is a risk. Ask anybody who's ever gotten married. Love is a risk. But you're willing to take that risk. And if we can be willing to take a risk to make a difference in the life of people, we aren't called to live protective lives. Too many times we just want to, and I've been there, a situation where I've opened myself up and showed love towards someone and they've stabbed me in the back. They've hurt me. And at that moment, you just want to clam up. You just want to clam up and you say, oh, I can't do that anymore. And we go from living an open life, sharing the gospel, telling people our story, to saying, I'm going to protect myself. I'm not going to get hurt like that again. I'm tired of people. It's easy to do. But I'm challenging us. Risk something for the glory of God. Risk something. Risk sharing your story. Because we're the only plan that God has chosen. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus is getting ready to send out the twelve. His disciples. And it says, Now it came to pass, when Jesus finished commanding his twelve disciples, that he departed from there to teach and to preach in their cities. And you read that and you say, okay, what are you trying to say? What I found interesting there is, is that he goes and he says, listen, I want you to go out. I want you to go out. But when Jesus departed, he then went into the places that meant the most to them. It says they went out to everywhere else beginning to preach, and Jesus himself visited their cities. The people that they had compassion for. I believe Jesus is saying, if you will build my house, if you'll go build my house, then I'll take care of yours. Sometimes we can become so consumed with us that we're not willing to take a risk for anybody else. But if we can get to a point, we've all have problems. We all have problems. We all have situations in our lives. But I believe that God is saying, hey, put other people first. Show them my love first. And if you do that, I'll visit your house. I'll show up at your house. I'll help take care of your issues, your situations. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here this morning, you say, Pastor J.W., I do not know this Jesus that you're talking about. I've never met this man that you've spent the last 30 minutes telling me about.
felt like that woman at the well. I'm thirsty. Like that woman at the well, I've been trying my best to find something that will quench my thirst, that will satisfy me. I've tried everything. I've tried it every way possible, and it just hasn't happened. Can I tell you that just as Jesus looked at that woman and said, if you keep drinking of this water, you're going to thirst again. But if you drink of the water that I want to give you, you'll be satisfied. Jesus is the answer to your thirst. Just like on a a hot day. You get so thirsty. And for me, my last resort is always water because I hate it. But there are times that I am so thirsty. I am so dry. And I grab a bottle of water, cold water, and it quenches my thirst. That's what Jesus wants to do for you this morning. If you're here and you say, I do not know this man, but I'm thirsty, just slip up your hand. Would there be one? He said, you'll never thirst again. You'll never thirst again. You may be here this morning and you may say, Pastor, I've tried it. I've actually made a confession life is hard sometimes I feel like that that I'm not even worthy to be called his child a son of the king I want you to know that God loves you and he has told us that he would never leave us he wouldn't forsake us and he allowed us to know that life would sometimes be difficult and it would be hard and so if you're here this morning and you say, Pastor, I made a confession to follow after him. But life is tough right now. I'm having it rough. If that's you, just slip up your hand. Thank you. Thank you. The enemy is attacking you with fear, with depression, with guilt, with shame. God said you don't have to suffer with any of that because greater is he that's living in you than who's in the world if you lifted your hand I'm going to ask you to do one more thing might be the hardest thing you've ever done but it'll be the best choice you've ever made And that's to come forward and to stand or to kneel at this altar and allow your brothers and sisters, your church family, the people that love you and that care about you and have made a commitment that says, I'm going to walk with you every step of the way. So I'm going to challenge you 
right now without any hesitation. If you raised your hand, come to this altar and let's pray because there is power in prayer. Don't allow the enemy, don't allow fear to keep you from quenching your thirst. Is there anyone else? As we begin to pray, as they begin to sing, God wants to quench your thirst. God wants you never to thirst again.